recorded at Get a Grip Studios in Toronto, Canada. Get a Grip Management production and in association with the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Presented by the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, the National Lighting Bureau, the Illuminating Engineering Society, and of course, the International Dark Sky Association. This is Starving for Darkness. Hang on a second here, folks. That's right. Hang on a second. Michael Colligan, co-host of Starving for Darkness here. Just to tell you real quick before we get into the conversation, which is super important for you to hear, that you need to go to keystonetech.com. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com, especially if you're a contractor or a distributor, Greg Eric. That's right. And they're coming out with a new exterior line of product, or they have come out with it, and they're going to continue to add to it, and they're dedicated to making dark sky friendly lighting uh, and potentially dark sky compliant as we go. For now, though, they do have a dark sky full cutoff wall pack, a variety of wattages, Kelvin temperatures, and a precision crafted optical lens that's ideal for increased fixture spacing and uniformity. So less lighting fixtures needed because it, it can provide more light out of the one fixture. So check that out. Go to keystonetech.com. That's right. Hold on. Here comes Starving for Darkness. But before, K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. Hello, listeners and darkness lovers. Welcome to another episode of Starving for Darkness. My name is Jane Slade, along with Michael Colligan, and we are so pleased to bring Barry Johnson, a member of the Philadelphia Outdoor Lighting Council, Barry, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. And we start every episode with the same request, which is please tell us about a dark sky experience that was moving to you and that left you in a place of awe and feeling your own humanity here on Earth. Uh, I think that would be a visit to uh, Big Bend National Park, which is a remote area away from civilization. FM radio did not come in, uh, AM you could get at night, and uh, the sky was pristine, Milky Way vivid, and uh, that's probably the best experience that I've, uh, that I've had. But I'm uh, a member of the Pennsylvania Outdoor Lighting oh. Council, not Philadelphia. My Although apologies. New Philadelphia, but our organization is the Pennsylvania Outdoor Lighting Council. So uh, that's my dark sky experience. Uh, that's the thing that got me interested in outdoor lighting, as a matter of fact, is uh, the night sky. I see. Well, you know, to be honest, <clears throat> I have Philadelphia on my mind because of the recent uh, mass event of fatalities with birds. And I really wanted to actually jump in and pick your brain about that because I know that you do so much work with municipalities to guide lighting to a more sustainable place. And mm -hmm. we've been recently celebrating the um, dimming of the lights in such a major city as Philadelphia. So what do you know about that case and what happened there? Well, uh, 
I know probably about as much as you do, what I read in the paper. I'm not in Philadelphia, so uh, uh, I know it occurred, and uh, that's about it. Okay. I mean, I well, can't give you any, I can't tell you more than you know. All right. Well, I know that you work a lot with municipalities. And so I, I read recently an article that you wrote about how it makes you sad that kids won't see the night sky. So tell me about the work that you do on the Pennsylvania Outdoor Lighting Council um, to advocate for better lighting. Okay, well, we're a, a volunteer organization. There are four of us. Uh, I'm in Montgomery County in Pennsylvania. Uh, we have uh, a representative in Pottstown, one in uh, Mechanicsburg, one in Lebanon. So it's four people, four volunteers. And uh, we uh, are volunteer uh, consultants, I guess you would say. And we also uh, work with <clears throat> municipalities uh, to uh, uh, ask to get them to uh, adopt uh, improved outdoor lighting ordinances. Some, some Pennsylvania municipalities have absolutely nothing in their zoning uh, code about outdoor lighting, about light trespass, glare, uh, are the two biggest concerns. Uh, but we have uh, about a, a trickle of contacts through our website, uh, mostly involving uh, complaints about light trespass. And then uh, if it's near enough, I go and visit it. And, uh, but in any case, I ask them for pictures and we uh, give them our advice on how to handle it. Sometimes it's <clears throat> a landlord has put in some obtrusive lighting unwittingly. Other t most of the time it's neighbors or nearby businesses that uh, are the offenders, if you will. And so uh, uh, I give them the, the vocabulary that they need, uh, glare, light trespass, obtrusive lighting, nuisance, if a person of ordinary sensibilities would be offended by the lights, uh, it would uh, generally be considered a nuisance and it should be corrected. Uh, in the past, we've had um, outdoor lighting workshops for municipal, municipal officials. Uh, 2020 uh, pretty much put an end to that for the time being. Uh, but uh, this has been done on a county basis. Delaware County, Chester County, uh, Bucks County, Berks, uh, and so forth, municipal officials, uh, where we basically uh, try to educate them and then offer our outdoor lighting ordinances. The outdoor, the model ordinance uh, was basically developed by Stan Stubbe, who's a consulting engineer. And uh, unlike most engineers, he is knowledgeable in lighting. Uh, the typical uh, township engineer is good on stormwater runoff and so forth, but uh, uh, knows the basics only of, of outdoor lighting. So we recommend that they, uh, when lighting plans are submitted, they contact us. Uh, this is for that a developer would uh, submit out an outdoor lighting plans for a proposed Wawa or whatever it is they uh, are planning to do. Uh, 
and then uh, that it should be reviewed by a knowledgeable consultant uh, who can uh, assess whether it meets the uh, municipality's requirements, if they have any. Uh, but an, or an ordinance basically quantifies expectations. So mm. that's why we think they're important. It's interesting. And for listeners who are not in the Pennsylvania area, a Wawa is say a 7-Eleven or a local mm -hmm. convenience store. Um, I have spent some time in Pennsylvania and um, you know, where you hail from Barry, it's a lot of farmland. And I say mm -hmm. this because it's actually surprising how easy it is even in rural areas for light pollution to crop up because mm -hmm. there's it's such an ease of <clears throat> LED installation that we've really made it almost um, fail safe to be able to install a very, very bright light. So I really appreciate the work that you do because it sounds like what you're doing is, is offering uh, to be an intermediary and offering really valuable language to be able to communicate the important issues, which can sometimes be between two parties where there's a lot of tension. So I, we were actually had a, recently a, a guest on Ryan Andreessen, and he does a lot of advocacy with municipalities. And he actually found that the term light pollution actually was triggering to council members uh, or board members of communities. Have you found that if you use the term light pollution, that it's offensive to the people who like light? Uh. <clears throat> I don't use the term light pollution very much, uh, but uh, we use the terms glare light trespass, uh, overlighting, uh, direct up light. For, for area lighting, such as parking and roadway, light emitted on an upward path above the horizontal plane is uh, waste. It's a waste component. And uh, so we basically try to get dark skies as a side effect of improved outdoor lighting practices. Um, I haven't gotten much response from municipal officials personally uh, by talking about light pollution, which uh, I think most people think of as urban sky glow. Uh, there's a there's a few definitions of light pollution, and uh, uh, but it's not that people don't care about dark skies. Uh, many times they are anxious to tell us about. Oh, when I was in the Navy aboard ship out on deck in the middle of the ocean, uh, how spectacular! Or some national park, some remote area. Uh, some they they do care about it. But uh, municipal officials, uh, they're not in that business. They're basically uh, trying to broker the best <clears throat> environment for their uh, constituents. And uh, typically what happens is uh, some uh, proposed development uh, comes in that uh, they really don't want. They don't think of it as a community asset. And uh, if they don't have an outdoor lighting ordinance, uh, it's too late once the uh, application's filed. So uh, 
the model ordinances are, we think are well-designed, the ones we have. Uh, there's one for subdivision and land development that's commonly used by township supervisors. And then there's a, uh, uh, another variation that's tailored to zoning, which is used by the code enforcement officers and uh, the uh, um, zoning hearing board. Uh, and so we tell them, if you don't have this, uh, you're asking for trouble. It may be a car dealership uh, that's that, uh, or, or any any type of, of business that's going to have a display lot, boats, for example, where high value items are outdoors, and uh, they want to light them up, uh, presumably for security, uh, but <clears throat> we basically emphasize that a lighting system is not a security system. It's a component. It can be a component of a security system, but <clears throat> unless you have a means to uh, be notified about an intrusion and then some means to respond, uh, you don't have a security system uh, simply by leaving the lights on all night. It's wishful thinking. So uh, that's our, uh, it's our approach. And uh, we work with businesses, individuals, and municipalities uh, to basically try to educate the public and uh, uh, explain that there really is a better way. Mo most people don't realize that so much of our outdoor lighting uh, doesn't uh, really uh, adhere to recognized good practices where you minimize glare, uh, minimize energy consumption. You can't eliminate glare. Uh, if you stand under the light, you're going to see glare. Light is glare. Uh, but for That's normal good. viewing angles, yeah. uh, glare should be minimized. Uh, use the right amount of light, no uplight, late night turn off. Uh, outdoor lighting is really for people. And when the people are not present, uh, the lights really uh, should normally be turned off or at least dimmed to a lower level so that, for example, in a uh, shopping mall parking area uh, during business hours, you have the potential for conflict between vehicles and pedestrians. So you need a certain amount of light there for, for safety. Mm -hmm. uh, but once uh, 10, 11 o'clock rolls around, uh, it makes sense to turn off at least part of the, of the lights that are illuminating the parking area, particularly outdoor parking. So um, it's difficult, though, it's pretty much the advice we give. Yeah, it's difficult to to I have a lot of sympathy for the officials and the and the, you know, the municipal workers and people that are in these positions, because to me, they seem torn between the um, the presupposition that more light brings more safety and the needs of developers and roadway lighting and then the this dark sky darkness issue the light trespass whatever you want to call it you have a lot of different terms there i really like that um and there's this there the, the for, for the first time i mean it looks like you've been doing this for quite a while but in most places there isn't it isn't counterbalanced 
Do you encounter in your work, in your volunteer work, do you encounter um, resistance or a, a sort of that presupposition that, hey, more light is safer and there's uh, no getting around it? Um, you encounter that a lot? Well, uh, that's, that's a, a, an attitude that we encounter, sure. Um, but uh, typically, it's a person that just needs to be educated. So that's a perception. And uh, the world runs on perception, but when the perception's wrong, you have to educate people. What, and, what's it? Uh, oh, sorry, I so, interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I looked at your website, and I, I like the, the simplicity. I like the way that you, you're approaching this in terms of giving people the terminology to speak to the problem. Like, and so d how much of your work is awareness creation, a sort of giving well, people uh, the, the I'd term? say most of it. Most of uh, it, okay. Our website has a lot of uh, lot of in, lot of information that's useful to individuals and businesses. Uh, but I have to say, most people don't know it exists, yeah. and um, we're typically typically we're contacted by um, uh, a college, let's say like Rutgers, who's going to have an environmental conference, and uh, we were invited to uh, make a presentation in March 2020. And so you can see that really didn't come to fruition. Uh, we were on, it, the conference was scheduled, but it couldn't be held mm. uh, due to the uh, pandemic. Uh, so we, we educate uh, in that way, also through our website. But typically people contact us when someone near them puts up a bad light. And so we have <laughs> at times uh, the offender is a total hardhead, and really sure. not much can be done unless you want to sue them. Mm. <clears throat> In other cases, uh, and really most of the time, they're just not aware. They just can't imagine that their light is unwelcome on my bedroom wall. Mm. So often why is that? I can, it, this, there's something well, with, with there's something with pollution. Like, so I've I run a business here where we recycle. Um, fluorescent lamps, and I've ran the, I've run this business maybe 14 years now. Okay, it's mm -hmm. uh, 2007 or something we started it. We actually had to change some local Ontario regulations to be able to do it. But so we did that, and then we started the business. And in the beginning, people felt like they had a right to throw mercury-containing lamps into the garbage. Like it, it was it was something mm -hmm. that they didn't they didn't want to change. And you would talk to people like, hey, you know, you can recycle those lamps. It's less than ten percent of the cost of the lamp, and it's really easy. We'll just pick them up when we drop off the new bulbs and all this kind of stuff. People were very resistant to that, and we I've seen that erode away slowly over the last decade, where now everybody recycles their fluorescent lamps. It's almost impossible to find someone who's willing to throw this stuff in the garbage now and everybody knows about it have you seen an increase like there there seems like with light there seems like well it's just light it's not pollution i'm not i'm not offending you in any way i have a right to shine a light as far as i want to off my property and i can light it up on a, as a, a, like a prison yard and too bad for you well, have the key you word there is on your property and uh yes uh you do have that right but um Typically, it go, the lights are not uh, properly shielded, and uh, con and the lights not controlled to the property being illuminated, uh, <clears throat> and that's where the trouble starts, and the complaints, uh, and uh, the intrusion. <clears throat> so you have a right to enjoy, uh, live in, and enjoy your home, 
whether it's a rental or you own it. And uh, if a car dealer across the street uh, feels that they need to illuminate their valuable property, uh, I don't disagree with that at all, but uh, their life should uh, basically be limited, direct, direct illumination on their property. So uh, <clears throat> there's a court case in Colorado where a uh, dealer, uh, this is where a commercial and residential district join. Mm -hmm. And uh, they put up really bad lights and uh, uh, basically uh, every time the homeowner came out at his front door, he was looking down the barrel of high intensity discharge lights. It's about 10 years ago before the LED revolution. And his bedroom windows were bathed. And uh, so he brought it to the attention of the uh, business owner, said, well, all you have to do is put up curtains and shades. Uh, so he said, well, if you were making noise, would all I have to do is put cotton in my ears? Mm -hmm. I think and, that's a fair uh, point. So uh, he ended up having to take out a mortgage and sue them, but he did win in uh, the appeals court. And they basically held Ooh. that an individual does not have to uh, put up curtains or uh, install any equipment in order to accommodate a business interest. I'm so was, shocked by that. Holding, this was a holding in Colorado. I'm sure. I'm uh, absolutely shocked. I'm stunned yeah. by that. Yeah. The, the, I don't the, think any of us would persist in behavior that annoyed the neighbors. No, it's but stunning some to people me. Do. Some people do. And, uh, so uh, you don't get many light trespass, light pollution cases in court. They don't really belong in court. They mm -hmm. should be regulated by the municipality. Mm -hmm. That yeah, you, you, you can't completely eliminate light coming from an adjacent property, but you can eliminate the direct illumination. So it's always going to scatter off their pavement, their yard, their house, mm -hmm. the building. But that's indirect. And so uh, direct illumination needs to be controlled. And in many cases, the uh, municipality uh, doesn't want to be bothered. And uh, getting them to enforce the ordinance that they adopted a few years ago uh, is the other part of the challenge. So uh, we, uh, we're, we're volunteer consultants. You know, Jane, it's interesting, and I, I don't think we've brought this up on Starving for Darkness before, but, you know, there's a lot of regulation without enforcement in Ontario. Like, there's a lot of regulations that are out there that are just blatantly and totally disregarded every day, and there's the Ministry of the Environment or whoever's in charge of enforcing these regulations just has no interest. You can't even get them on the phone. You know, you can't even call them. So I think regulation without enforcement or model lighting ordinances that are not delivered upon in a municipality is a real neg negative position to be in um, for people like yourself and for Starving for Darkness, where if the laws are already in place, you know, this should be happening. Have you had any success with enforcement um, in Pennsylvania? I mean, yeah, in Pennsylvania. I almost said Philadelphia. Again. Yeah. In uh, Pennsylvania with encouraging sure, no, these inspectors to get out there and do their jobs. Upper Dublin Township in Montgomery County adopted our model ordinance almost word for word, the standalone 
version of the ordinance, but they they enforce it on a, uh, I guess you'd say a complaint basis. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there was a, a restaurant that had flood lighting uh, for their parking area, uh, but it also illuminated the second floor bedroom windows of the uh, homes across the, the street from them. And so uh, one of the people there contacted me. And uh, when we get a contact, we normally look up to see what the municipality has as far as any uh, an outdoor light, any regulation of outdoor lighting. Normally there's a nuisance ordinance, uh, but in any case, uh, I told him, we'll contact the code enforcement officer whose name I happened to know at the time. He's since retired, but was a very good man. And, uh, you know, said, here's, these are the, here's the sections that they're violating. And all they have to do is have someone go up there and put a piece of sheet metal, piece of aluminum flashing to screen off your houses. And uh, after a couple calls, uh, these people don't normally work at night, code enforcement, uh, but they did. They came over uh, and directed the uh, owners, really the landlord, uh, the people that ran the restaurant don't own the property but the landlord got an electrician to go up there, basically aluminum flashing. And uh, uh, apparently there was no purpose built shield in the catalog or they didn't know what they had, uh, but they just went up with some sheet metal screws and aluminum flashing and that was it. Yeah. So- uh, Very I want to get into some of the nitty gritty of what you do, because I think there's mm -hmm. important conversations mm -hmm. to flush out. So mm -hmm. here you are, you are positioning yourself as a volunteer intermediary to try and bring sustainable lighting to your communities. So ha when you have been uh, in a situation that has had tension, what is some of the language that you've used to bring peace between the two parties and to find resolution? Well, uh, somewhat it depends on the, uh, who, who, who the offender is, if you will. And uh, mm -hmm. in many cases, they're, they're just simply unaware that it's a problem and they'll take care of it. Others uh, are completely indifferent to anyone but themselves. And uh, uh, it's not much you can do with that kind of person. And uh, mm -hmm. most people uh, occasionally, someone is, is so disturbed by what's going on that they actually uh, take them to court. And, um, mm -hmm. but we always advise to be, you know, uh, polite, persistent, and uh, um, you know, don't make people angry. Mm -hmm. So there's a, you know, a few ways to, express that but uh basically we advise that they not be confrontational and say you know how would you like it let's let's say this was your house how, how would you uh uh how would, would it be okay if i put a big floodlight and aimed it at your house <laughs> uh, 
so usually no. But, are you uh, saying some, not some to use that type of language? Some people are complete hardheads. So uh, this mm -hmm. is what we're faced with. So you have an escalation strategy, I guess. Where well, you know what I you know what I find I mean, is very normally bring it to their attention. Yeah. And if they don't, uh, if they don't, many times they're apologetic. Oh, I had sure. no idea. Uh, other others are uh, indifferent, uh, or or uh, don't want to be told anything. You know, there's there's mm -hmm. a lot of different personalities that uh, you'll encounter, and many of them own own outdoor lights and operate them. A very powerful tool, which has been forgotten largely, but I still retain in my repertoire, is the anonymous letter, actually. Mm. So mm. when you yeah. send somebody an anonymous letter and they don't know who it's from, there's, a, there's an element of paranoia that mm. you then create <laughs> in the perpetrator uh -huh. that they don't know who it is. And, you know, who's, you know, who's concerned. And, and, and I found that I've never done it with any uh, light trespass issues, but I've done, used it many times in my life with neighbors that were doing things with dogs on chains, garbage on the side of their house, things yeah. like this. So I, I find that the anonymous letter can be a good first step. And oftentimes because of the paranoia that sets in that the person doesn't know who is, is, you know, complaining that they tend to move quicker. In that instance, I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I think it's got something to do with the paranoia, Barry. So mm -hmm. I'll throw that into your repertoire for the listeners out there. Anonymous letter is very powerful, actually. We'll keep that in our back pocket. <laughs> if you want to make sure it. they'll open it, put something lumpy in it because people have to open a lumpy letter. Yeah. Nothing oh, well, mean. You could put like a coin in or something, but sure. people want to know. Oh, yeah. You also yeah. handwrite it and write private and confidential. That's even, even better. Private and confidential. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very powerful. It hadn't occurred to me, but uh, we might find a use for it. Yeah, it's a good one. I wanted to, Jane. Do you, I, can I can I jump onto something else here? Yeah, jump wanna, in. Yeah. So, have you had? What about municipalities that are breaking their own ordinances? Have you encountered that before? Oh, uh, that, that don't adhere to their own ordinances. Yeah, like street lighting or with their own buildings and that. Oh. Uh, I went to a township meeting where they did have a they did have an outdoor lighting ordinance. Uh, it was minimal, but it was uh, basically scientifically accurate, and the lighting on the township building didn't wasn't compliant. So um, it's a wide spectrum of uh, compliance. Uh, the, one of the most recent encounter that where someone contacted me about a, uh, a business across the street, the municipality zoning ordinance was completely silent on uh, outdoor lighting. I mean, they had smells, they had noise, they had uh, so forth in, in zoning, but uh, uh, nothing, and they were completely negligent on outdoor, uh, outdoor lighting issues. Nothing are, there. Is this? Is there any statewide ordinances, or is this, Pennsylvania? Is it all done? At, it's all done at the municipal level. It's at the yes, at the municipal level, not even the county level. Sounds like a sales strategy to me, Jane. Let alone the state. Like if I, I'm actually going to start figuring out in Ontario how it works, and I'm going to research if there's lighting ordinances, and I'm going to look for vendors. And then I'm going to go sell them lights. I mean, I think it's uh, it's an interesting, um, you know, way to uh, look at this. Because if the ordinances are already in place, 
you can activate the local, you can activate, educate, create awareness as you're doing. I love what you, listen, Barry's in the trenches on this issue, Jane. He's totally. like, he's on the yep. front lines of the issue and I love it. And it's just, there's so many ideas here. I'm just looking at it from a sales <clears throat> perspective, you know, why not, um, you know, lighting people who are in the lighting distributors and the contractors listening to this, why not find out if your town has a local ordinance and, and, and see if you can go educate the local inspectors and tell them about this. And then maybe you can, uh, you know, help the perpetrators stop perpetrating this, these trespasses. I, I, uh, I, I'm very interested in that. I wonder how, how, if it works that way in every state or if there is some states that have statewide ordinances that, you know, local municipalities have to write their local ordinances in conformance to, um, or if it's just well, municipality by municipality across the board. When the municipality uh, updates their zoning, this is in Pennsylvania now, uh, there's a county review, mm -hmm. but uh, it's, it's not a county-wide uh, ordinance, but it's a, it applies to the municipality and uh, one thing I've found is, and uh, there's a link to this on the Pennsylvania Outdoor Lighting Council website to find your local ordinance. And a great number of local ordinances are online now. It saves, it saves the township a lot of trouble if people can go, if developers, lawyers, whoever it may be, uh, residents can go, uh, anybody who wants to do anything in the township can go online and have, find a searchable uh, zoning ordinance, subdivision, land development ordinance, so forth, whatever they have. There's a few ways uh, that it can be codified, uh, but uh, this is called ECODE 360 is, is the one that I'm linked to. And, uh, but not, not, not the whole country is on it, but uh, a lot. So you may, uh, and I'm, I don't recall if it covers Canada or It does. Not, I'm looking at it right now. Every, but every, Everything the United States has, Canada has better. Get out so, of here. That ain't true. Except, that ain't except true. Maybe, except maybe winter. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't I, I, know. I you have better frostbite in Canada. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, I, you know I, I think that, there. you know, sometimes uh, – there's a perception of Canada that's not necessary by you Americans. That's not necessarily well, I mean, the reality, yeah. but we're happy yeah. to take it. We'll take it. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, having I'm lived in Canada, in Canada and being American, I can tell you there's a lot of things that Canadians get right. And there's a much yes. more profound sense of connection to the environment that's um, wow. that, that is that is more homogenous across the nation of Canada than in the United States. Right. So that's just for one, but there are many incidences of that. So I got Canada's back on that one. <laughs> um, but I do want to say, Barry, I think what you're doing is really important work, um, as Mike said, because you really are in the trenches. And I can't imagine. Um, I remember, actually, I moved into this brand new apartment in Brooklyn. I was so excited. And then it turned out that my upstairs neighbor walked around in high heels all the time <laughs> and i could hear her tv like literally blaring i knew what she was watching and i mean i spent the first night being like what am i gonna do i'm locked yeah. underneath this person mm -hmm. and so I, there were resources for me and i did eventually have those very it was a series of difficult conversations trying to undo this person's habits inside their castle. 
And I think that's Give one of the problems. Uh, I should suggest that. <laughs> I mean, we we went through a lot of different things and eventually we found Harmony, yeah. which was very lucky because it's all about the person that you are dealing with. Yeah. And I remember moving out and I hugged her goodbye. So it all worked out. But I will Good say work. I had resources and I had resources yeah. for sound like you are for light. And I, you know, I can't imagine, you know, what people would do if they didn't have the POLC website when they needed you. Mm -hmm. So you're providing amazing um, resource. And I, I want to dig into the fact that, you know, when we talk about language, you know, it doesn't just appear overnight. You don't just have the right words to say and the syntax that works. This takes practice over time. And, you know, I have a post-it on my desk right here that says how to have the conversation because many people come to me saying, how do I have this conversation? You know, even my mom's yes. neighbors, they have lights blasting. And I think there's, you know, we need more people who are willing to step in and be an intermediary and an advocate for darkness as you're doing. So thank you so much for providing that uh, language as a tool, because I think it's far underestimated um, how needed just the simple tool of language is. When you say light well, we trespass. Give them the vocabulary that they need, yep. uh, which is a, which is a powerful step in mm -hmm. many cases. Oftentimes they say, they put up this light this can't possibly be legal, can it? And uh, the answer is, uh, it depends on where you are and uh, your municipal officials, what their motivation is. I mean, in Pennsylvania has municipalities that are, there are only 300 people. The, uh, the municipal government, are all, they're all volunteers. You know, they run some kind of business or live there uh, and, uh, they're going around in coonskin caps and they have nothing as far as outdoor lighting. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're faced with. So you are aided by the State Department of Environmental Protection and you've also helped persuade at the time that this article was written 35 townships mm -hmm. um, to adopt better lighting. And yeah. so how has the perception, have you, do you feel that there's been a, a, a sort of tipping point in perception that makes your work a little easier? Uh, Where are well, you in that? There's, there's somewhere around 2,500 municipalities in Pennsylvania. So uh, hmm. we have the first bullet hole with 35, but, uh, and I think it's maybe more than that now. And they, these are, have not necessarily adopted the entire ordinance, but they've uh, adopted it at, at least in part and taken, taken our ideas and uh, put them into this. Some of them, some of the things that are in there, not every municipality needs, uh, but it's, it's about 40 different uh, townships and boroughs uh, in Pennsylvania that have picked up at least some part of it. I went to uh, uh, talk to Swatara Township, which is near Harrisburg, and uh, they had a small section on uh, uh, in the environment and it was taken word from word uh, from our uh, model ordinance. Hmm. They, di they didn't do much about it, but uh, they had it. So. And many, and how, most of the time, it's on, a, it's on a complaint basis. 
How similar is your model lighting ordinance to the model lighting ordinance that was written and developed by the International Dark Sky Association uh, and the Illuminating Engineering Society? It's much simpler and uh, it's uh, the IDA, IES uh, is uh, uh, elaborate and mm -hmm. for uh, this rural to semi-rural municipalities in Pennsylvania, uh, ours is a better, ours are a better fit. And there's always, there's always going to be some subjective judgments done when you're, uh, decide, you know, I'm the code enforcement officer. Now, what do I do here? Uh, and so we recommend that they have some means to measure illumination or they have a consultant that they can call. Uh, so, uh, some of the, some of the municipalities in Pennsylvania are hardly amount to anything. Others, like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, uh, lighting is so embedded there that, and population density is so high that we don't spend a lot of time with them. Although I have had some success in Philadelphia because it has a decent outdoor lighting section in the zoning ordinance and uh people can't they, they people live there don't think to look online in many cases and so i have a, a link and i send this to them and it says here's what here's what the zoning ordinance says so uh we had a restaurant that unwittingly was committing light trespass and the owners were good corporate citizens and once it was brought to their attention, they installed shielded luminaires. And this was in Philadelphia. So um, well, that's what we do. Well, Finding light pollution is basically working with people. Uh, absolutely. So, and so yeah, that's what we're trying to do is. Working with people. I'm retired and I have time now to, in fact, all four of our our uh, consultants are retired, uh, one of whom is a consulting engineer. And uh, he's really our brain trust. I've learned a lot from him. But also the International Dark Sky Association is an important resource and the Illuminating Engineering Society, uh, another important resource. And then the uh, European counterpart, of the IES is the CIE. They're pretty similar, uh, and uh, so they're they're are basically our model ordinances. Uh, the general thrust is that the the outdoor lighting that a municipality has it should be in accordance with the recommended practices of the IES, and they have recommended practices for roadway parking outdoor, so forth. It's most, the IES is mostly about indoor lighting, but it includes outdoor lighting too. And so uh, we think of that as an important resource, what their standards are, what their recommendations are. And the IES recommendations are basically a, uh, a consensus of, of experts in, the, in the, whatever the field it is. It's a consensus and standards are basically by their nature arbitrary. So uh, if you have a standard, uh, it, it should be something that 
in general people agree with. So that's what they do. But the IES and the uh, International Dark Sky Association are uh, uh, important resources that we re I refer people to all the time. So and I want to refer to them myself. Sure. I mean, yeah, great organizations. They're, mm -hmm. they're both supporters and presenters of this show. So they're both, they present, they're part of the presenting group of associations that are, are um, supporting Starving for Darkness. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, I really liked your website. Uh, I liked the, the little cartoon, the Light Trespass cartoon. I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to ask you about your success with the sign and billboard lighting. I know that mm -hmm. horizontal uh, illuminance is a huge contributor uh, um, to Skyglow and also um, they're very offensive like I don't think people once you point out this stuff to people mm -hmm. like look how bright that roadway sign is and the guy's got some political message on it or he's advertising jobs or what and, you know he's yeah. probably a good guy at the end of the day he just wants to say something outside of his factory but some of these signs are very offensive when you drive by them they really they can hurt your mm -hmm. eyes at times have you had a lot of success with billboard and, and sign lighting and is it covered by the, uh, the lighting ordinances it's covered by the lighting ordinance uh, by the uh, by our model ordinances and uh in, in some cases, well, now we have LED uh, uh, outdoor advertising, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as sky glow, uh, the light pollution that we think of as a light dome over a populated area, they're not as bad because those were the traditional illumination was a floodlight at the bottom mm -hmm. aimed at a paper coating, you know, on a billboard, and then a good amount of the light went uh, directly up or reflected off of the billboard. So uh, as far as urban sky glow, the LEDs, although in, in many cases they're too bright, mm -hmm. uh, they have the, our ordinance requires that they be dimmed uh, at, at night. Uh, you, if you're going to have the same sign, it has to be brighter in the daytime than it does at night. And this this is this needs to be automatic, based on the uh, illumination that's uh, present. So, um, but as far as uh, getting them under control, no, uh, we don't we don't have that much charm and influence. So I, I I bet you there'd be a lot more, more resistance. There's more and more of it, and it's not as but it's not as bad as the uh, traditional. As far as uh, uh, sky glow, uh, what, what I what I think of as light pollution from an astronomical standpoint. Uh, uh, but but do they, you find there's more resistance? I, I would assume that someone who's advertising well, I, something or trying to putting a message out there that there's going to be you see them on along highways. These uh, out for ad, outdoor advertising billboards that may be. Uh, 40 feet tall, uh, mm -hmm. you know, from grade up to the top and 40 feet wide. And they're advertising truck stops, Coca-Cola restaurants that the uh, motoring public might be interested in. And the industry standard is that they change every eight seconds. So if you have one of these, it's going to light. Even if you don't have a direct view of it, it's going to light up the sky uh, for uh a mile, let's say. And so your bedroom window every eight seconds is going to get this flash as, as these uh, roadway billboards, 
even though they're, uh, they're, they're, the luminance from them uh, may not be uncomfortable. Uh, when you're, uh, let's say, the first quarter mile, uh, that's where you live. It's going to light up your whole sky in that direction and your bedroom window and flash every eight seconds. Oh. So uh, these people are basically, these are not a community asset typically. Mm -hmm. uh, someone in the, uh, uh, has property that, and they're paid to host this huge sign. And uh, they don't want the municipality to regulate it. They mm -hmm. want the revenue. Sure. So this is the, this is the dilemma that township and borough officials face that on the one hand, uh, somebody here wants, some voter here wants this because it's a revenue stream. And then everyone else says, yeah, but it's an eyesore mm -hmm. and uh, it's not doing us any good. The, the, the people who put these in, uh, I think of them as hit and run artists that, yes, we'll have this and uh, it's not going to be any problem to you. And uh, um, so... They're, they're, they're more and more of them, since they're programmable, they're going to completely replace the traditional billboards. Just like the LED revolution that we're in, uh, you don't see uh, lighting plans that specify anything but LEDs. It's, it's, uh, it's all it is now. And LEDs certainly have some advantages. They, there's no mercury. Uh, An LED is inherently directional. But what we find is that when, when they replace lighting, the total emitted lumens are considerably higher mm -hmm. than what they had. And, uh, but for roadway parking, LED, the, the, and I'm, I'm not sure why this is, it's about a 50% savings on the electric costs. You, you might think it would be more than that, but uh, it's, it's typically about 50% for a, a, a roadway interchange or a, big parking area. It's about 50% off the electric bill. So it pays for itself. And if they don't overlight, you end up with, with better lighting, less glare off-site, because they're typically down lights uh, with some forward throw. Uh, but the biggest offender are floodlights, where they're trying to illuminate a big parking lot with just one gigantic floodlight. Mm -hmm. So when you're downstream from that, you're mm -hmm. going to get it. <clears throat> so that's that's our experience. <laughs> so, Barry, how has the night sky changed since you started your work well, in your part uh, of the world? Has it gotten better? I, uh, I don't say it, see it as any better. Uh, I, uh, I recall uh, as a child when there really wasn't much outdoor lighting, when mercury vapor didn't exist yet. And then that came through, uh, uh, came across the United States. And uh, then uh, skies were pretty dark. If you got uh, 10 miles outside of a major city, things were really pretty good. You could see the night sky. And uh, now uh, you have to be a city the size of New York City or Philadelphia. You have to be 100 miles out to see before the light dome disappears. Uh, but what I... Uh, what keeps me going is that uh, had we not taken it, had we not done this and never raised, lifted a finger, uh, it would be worse. Uh, so I can't see uh, 
any improvement that I can really point to, but we've had our successes and um, takes time to educate the public. So what's on the horizon for your work? What are you planning to well, do next? Uh, we're going to do pretty much what we do now, uh, but we will start up again our outdoor lighting workshops for municipal officials uh, and uh, get ourselves invited to these academic conferences <laughs> at Rutgers and, uh, um, you know, basically tell anyone who listens and maintain our website. Uh, it looks, it, uh, it does not have a modern look to it, but to convert that to something like uh, DreamHost, uh, I don't have the time for it. So it's basically looks like a 1990s website, but it does the job and it's accurate. Yeah, I was going to say the 90s called and they wanted their website no. back, but no. it has a lot so of great, it has a lot of great. were first built. It has and, a lot uh, of great information and resources on it. Yeah, it works. Yeah, it does. And, uh, and that's polcouncil.org. polcouncil.org. Yeah. That's we found it. Well, I will say. been taken. It looks like it is curated. So regardless of the style, mm -hmm. you can tell mm -hmm. that the, everything that's on there has been hand chosen to be able to mm -hmm. be a resource. So mm -hmm. I definitely felt like you were uh, holding space that it wasn't some old website that hadn't been touched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it didn't feel like it hadn't been touched. So maybe stylistically you could do something different, mm -hmm. but I do think it looks like a very up-to-date, well-curated website. Mm -hmm. And I think you're doing a fantastic job. And I just want to thank you for all that you're doing to be yes. in the trenches, to deliver the really important language, mm -hmm. to assist in those really important, mm -hmm. difficult conversations. So, Barry, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with before we part uh, ways? Uh, make, was, my advice is always make sure your lights are well designed. Any lights that you own or control that... Uh, the, uh, they provide visibility, the right amount of light, late night turn off, no direct up light, and uh, don't annoy the neighbors. Well, I'm Fantastic very grateful. Fantastic advice. I'm very well, grateful. That's, that's what we we're, we're outdoor lighting missionaries. Yes, I'm very grateful you exist, and I love your chipping away at its style, and I think mm -hmm. that, you know, incremental improvements are super important. So we don't have a lot of, uh, we don't have a lot of clout you might say, uh, but uh, people contact us on a regular basis who are, most of them uh, have a light trespass problem. So, well, thank well you, you have clout with us. So thank okay. you so much. Good talking with you. Bye for now, Barry. Thank you. Okay, bye. Psst. Psst. Hey, don't go anywhere yet because we have some instructions for you. Michael and Greg from Get a Grip on Lighting. Yeah, we do the ads for Starving for Darkness. You got to go to KeystoneTech.com. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H.com. Light made easy, Greg. You've been able to rattle that off real well. Uh, there's a new line of exterior fixtures from Keystone that they have available, and they're going to continue to expand on it, and they're doing things right. And one of those that they're doing right is in their wall packs. They're making them full cut off. That's going to eliminate undesirable sky glow and glare. And that's what we all want. It looks nice. It fits a profile of a lot of your old nasty fixtures and has multiple wattages and kelvins that can cover you there. Get rid of those old nasties. Go to keystonetech.com. That's K-E-Y-S-T-O-N-E-T-E-C-H. 
www.starvingfordarkness.com. Thanks for listening to Starving for Darkness. Bye for now.